Hi all, and welcome to another episode of Sustaining Sustainability. I'm your host, Chris Gassman, the Senior Associate Director at the Center for Sustainable Business at the University of Pittsburgh. This week, I'm joined from Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, by Liz Thescio, ESG Advisor at Crown Castle. Crown Castle is a S&P 500 company that owns, operates, and leases more than 40,000 cell towers and approximately 85,000 route miles of fiber, supporting small cells and fiber solutions across every major U.S. market. It's $10 billion investment in communications infrastructure within low-income communities affirms that Crown Castle is inclusively enabling connectivity between people, communities, and businesses. In her current role, Liz leads Crown Castle's Environmental Social Governance, or ESG, efforts. Through collaboration with leaders across the company, she identifies opportunities to achieve ESG goals, ensures alignment of ESG efforts to company goals, and is responsible for ESG public disclosures. Liz, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. I've uh, mentioned I've always wanted to be on a podcast, and I am really excited to be talking with you today. <laughs> Same here. Happy to have you. So, you know, Liz, during your almost 10 years at Crown Castle, uh, you're talking about uh, aspirations. You know, you've held several positions in the company. How does your journey to the role as ESG advisor align with your professional or personal purpose? You know, I think that both personally and professionally, I've always been drawn to creatively solving problems and then driving continuous improvement, leaving things better than I found them. Um, applying this to my professional journey. So after I graduated with my accounting degree from Pitt, I started my career in public accounting at Deloitte, which gave me an awesome foundation for what would be my future work at Crown. Um, you know, it's kind of less about the debits and credits for me and more about how different businesses create value and learning about the risks that kept their leadership teams up at night in 2013. So as you mentioned, almost 10 years ago now, I started at Crown Castle in the internal audit group, which was a really good jumping off point from public accounting. After I left audit, I spent some time on what we call our project delivery team, where I oversaw customer deployments on our towers for a few years. Then I led several process improvement teams, first for the engineering and ops team, and then for our whole towers organization. And then most recently, I started a little over a year ago as Crown Castle's uh, inaugural ESG advisor. So, well, this may not be the most obvious or traditional career path progression, you know, I think going back to my love of creatively solving problems and just leaving things better than I found them, you know, the background in both audit and operations has been incredibly helpful in positioning me to tackle some of the ESG challenges and opportunities that we're facing. I just wanted to encourage any listeners that um, may have an audit or an accounting background to explore roles in the ESG space. You know, I, I recently had the opportunity to collaborate with the Pennsylvania Institute of CPAs 
and some other ESG leaders across the state on a white paper that concluded that there were um, really, you know, not enough accountants that had um, an expertise in ESG or that were, you know, leaning into um, just the growing demand for that for that expertise. And then, you know, recently, I think it was GreenBiz that had a great article on the topic that talked about, you know, the value of bringing a lot of the disciplines that accounting and finance professionals already have, you know, like public disclosures and implementing controls and all kinds of fun things, um, accessing capital markets um, to the subject matter of ESG. Building on that, with the continued inflation and interest rate hikes, how are you ensuring that ESG goals remain high on Crown Castle's priority list, that they are, are not just a, a trend coming out of the pandemic? We've always been focused on making decisions with that long-term view that look beyond, you know, some of these really crazy short-term headwinds that we're all seeing. So when, you know, we look at our two ESG goals, which I'll go into here, you know, they've been able to remain incredibly high priorities because we've been able to just really you know, kind of closely tie them to just who we are and to creating like real long-term value. The first public goal is about carbon neutrality. So it's the goal to be carbon neutral in scope one and two emissions by 2025. As I was reflecting on kind of the, the real value creation, I think it's really about cost savings um, in a large part here in reducing our energy usage and sourcing renewable energy. So um, a good example of this is converting the lighting on our towers to LED. And since 2008, we've been methodically working to convert those lights to LED, and it's really been driven out of the operational benefit. You know, today we're at a great spot in that more than 60% of our tower lights have been converted to LED, and we're not slowing down on these conversions because LED is about 90% more efficient than traditional lighting and has a five times longer useful life. So not only are we just reducing our electricity bills, but we're also avoiding um, unnecessary visits to the sites to do, you know, repairs and maintenance, and we're, you know, avoiding unnecessary truck rolls. The second goal is about increasing our spending with diverse suppliers to 16% of our nearly $2 billion in annual addressable spend uh, by 2026. And I think the value case for this goal um, is also really straightforward. So, you know, in addition to just being the right thing to do, uh, which is also really important, you know, we need the help of the diverse network of suppliers and contractors to continue building and maintaining our uh, shared fiber and small cells and towers. Um, you know, said another way, increasing our diverse suppliers expands the number of partners that can help us meet the uh, ever-changing needs of our customers and just makes our business and supply chain stronger. A couple of years ago, we incorporated sustainability link targets into our credit facility, um, which means that, you know, after we achieve our annual environmental targets, we get a lower interest rate. Um, you know, I think it's really gone a long way too in establishing further accountability to achieve our carbon neutral goal and kind of, you know, unexpected to me, I'm, as I mentioned, pretty new to the ESG space, but um, it's also really allowed us to engage in some really valuable conversations with our lenders just about, you know, setting and achieving those credible and ambitious targets and, you know, getting their point of view on kind of how they view some of those things. Really, I guess, to wrap it up, I think it really just comes down to having a deep understanding of the business and what creates value for your business. 
but you know, I think it doesn't have to be an either or decision, right? Like decisions can simultaneously serve your shareholders, the environment, the communities. Um, and I think just, you know, being careful to drive progress in an intentional way and guarding against doing things that are just, you know, performative or just to check a box and say that you did it, um, will help you to gain buy-in internally and both credibility externally as well. Well, you know, Liz, we, we've talked a bit about uh, the why and what of your goals at Crown Castle. You know, thinking about the being carbon neutral by 2025 for scopes one and two of your emissions, you know, what role does cross-company collaboration play in achieving this goal? So thinking about like the how you're going about doing it. A ton. Um actually one of my favorite things if not my favorite thing about my current role is that i get to collaborate with teams really all across the business right so you know i've enjoyed working closely uh, with our tower and network operational teams equipment engineering our network operations center legal external affairs marketing the list goes on um, but you know before my role even existed the supply chain team had already gotten started on um, first, consolidating the supply of electricity across the deregulated electricity markets and taking us from over 80 utilities down to just two um, in those states. And in doing that, driving a really incredible amount of cost savings, I think it was upwards of $2 million a year. Um, and then we were able to use that money to invest in high quality renewable energy across those same markets. Um, so again, you know, going back to decisions that are good for both the environment and the business, because also related to supply chain, I think about our fleet vehicles. So we have about a thousand fleet vehicles across the country, and it's been awesome to have a dedicated supply chain team focused on our fleet because, you know, as we think about the ESG opportunities there and just the operational opportunities there, um, they've been able to partner with the business and really um, make sure that we are first and foremost, you know, meeting the operational needs of our business with our fleet vehicles. So things like towing capacity and range, um, and then seeing, you know, what opportunities exist to drive both cost and emissions out of the business in this space in a way that makes sense for us. So, you know, for example, switching some of our passenger vehicles to hybrids um, is actually cheaper because of the fuel savings and then obviously also better for the environment. Uh, exactly. That's the, the kind of thing that we talk about here at the center is in fostering a mindset of everyone being a sustainability generalist, right? Having that embedded across the business. Uh, so collaboration being key there. You know, what are the, the challenges and opportunities in communicating about ESG to, to get that meaningful buy-in from company leaders and investors that lead the business to action? You know, we're, we're really inherently sustainable. And what I mean by that is that our business model is built on the concept of co-location, meaning that multiple customers share space on our towers, our small cells, our fiber, which limits the proliferation of wireless infrastructure that would otherwise be needed to support the growing demand for data and connectivity that you know we all know is happening. Um, and you know that co-location translates into both resource efficiency, right? So reducing the natural resources and construction events that would otherwise be needed um, as we all demand more data and more places faster than ever before. Um, but it also goes beyond resource efficiency and just really drives cost savings as well. So, you know, reduces costs for our customers 
and gets them on air quicker, extending the coverage and capacity that we all want internally. Oh, I think about data. Um, so challenges with data collection. Um, the request can be really expansive, you know, especially so right now uh, we're partnering with a third party on collecting and measuring scope three emissions for the first time. But the, the opportunities are also vast. So with good data comes good insights. And with good insights, um, you, know, you can actually move the needle on taking the right actions. Externally, you know, I think we're we're generally really well aligned with our investors on ESG priorities, but I'll say that you know the breadth of ESG ratings and questionnaires have created, we'll call it some opportunities for further engagement, maybe, just to ensure that we're all um, rowing in the same direction, right? So, you know, unlike credit ratings, which although there's three agencies, they're all generally measuring the same thing, your credit score is not going to be, you know, wildly different across the three agencies. Um, I've heard, you know, some just criticize the use of ratings um, associated with ESG because they're really something entirely different. And, you know, a number of them are just designed to measure completely different things, right? Some look at the quality of a company's disclosures. Others look at the amount of unmitigated ESG risk that's present at a company and, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of flavors. So going back to what's the opportunity, I think it's just transparent and proactive and frequent engagement with your investors. So, you know, we found that usually after a conversation, we usually, you know, quickly figure out that we're actually on the same page. It just, you know, may not present that way at first. Well, thinking uh, a bit about that kind of engagement um, and getting back uh, maybe to the second goal, uh, you know, could you tell us uh, a bit about your underrepresented or underserved supplier goal? And you you explained a bit about the the why uh, of it, but you know, um, you know, what led to setting to it, and maybe more so, what steps are you taking to achieve it? We we really believe and we know that diverse teams lead to outperformance, and at the end of the day, we're focused on creating value, right? Starting with developing a diverse ecosystem of talent with our employees. And then kind of through this goal, we've been able to extend that commitment to our supply chain. And it's just another way that we can be really intentional on where our capital is invested. It's also been awesome to see that, you know, our major customers, right? So our, uh, the, the large telecoms, AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, um, they all also really do believe in the value of a diverse supply chain, and they have their own supplier diversity goals. So it's it's been really exciting to all be working in the same direction on that to really make a difference. First is we actually found, we went through our data, that we were already doing uh, business with a number of existing diverse suppliers. So the first pillar is kind of just increasing business with those existing diverse suppliers that we already know are fantastic partners. Uh, second, as you might expect, is proactively identifying and certifying new diverse suppliers. And then, you know, third is about enhancing our tools and resources to equip our widely distributed decision makers that are spread, you know, all across the business with the insights they need to make those best purchasing decisions. So our supply chain team, um, really sharing some love with them today, but they have a number of dedicated teammates that are just totally focused on this goal from both a programmatic and a tactical perspective. And you know what I mean by the tactical perspective is that 
you know, sometimes it's really complicated, I understand, to become certified with some of these third party organizations. So there's there's hundreds of them, um, you know, different levels of government or, you know, other organizations. So, you know, it can also just be um, supporting diverse suppliers through that certification process, um, answering their questions, kind of just providing some guidance that they may need. Um, and I think we're really well positioned to continue to make progress toward this goal in the coming years. And you know, Liz, I'm wondering if we could dig a little bit deeper into that one. You know, it's it's often when folks are thinking about uh, environmental goals, uh, we have things like the IPCC and, and other uh, trusted bodies to provide guidance of like, okay, this is where we need to be by when. And companies often struggle a bit more with S side goals, right? Mm -hmm. And so wondering if you could um, explain just a little bit more on the the strategy or the thinking, you know, how did you arrive at that percentage number? Was it, is it part of some you know, longer roadmap? You know, we landed at 16% because according to a third party study uh, by the Hackett group, 16% represents the top quartile. Um, and for us, it was just really important to be recognized as a leader in this space and to use our purchasing power, as I mentioned, you know, really be just super accretive to our business, as I mentioned. Very cool. Thank you. So, you know, one thing we ask all our guests, um, you know, what call to action would you make to our listeners? I wish I had something super wise. I'll say it's the same <laughs> advice that, um, that I tell myself when I have a long run that I don't feel like doing, or when I'm facing a new challenge at work or my personal life that just feels overwhelming. And the call to action is just to keep showing up um, pretty simple, but, you know, just making an informed plan and executing on it and planning to iterate and improve it is, is really powerful. Um, but eventually, you know, in a run, the mileage builds at work, the progress builds when you're making choices with that long-term view that we had talked about before, you know, and just doing what you know is right. You build that strength and endurance and just can really drive meaningful progress that, you know, in the, the space of ESG is quite literally changing the world for the better. So those are those are my words of wisdom for the audience. Liz, it's a pleasure to catch up with you here on the podcast and a double pleasure to catch up with you recently at the Sustainable Business Forum. And thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Chris. And before we sign off, my name is Kristen P. Ahern, and I'm the producer and editor of Sustaining Sustainability. This podcast is made by the Center for Sustainable Business at the University of Pittsburgh, directed by C.B. Bhattacharya. It is made possible by all our member companies. To learn more about our upcoming programs or about becoming a member, please go to sustainablebusiness.pit.edu or follow us at PittCSB on all social platforms. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague, and we'll see you soon for another episode of Sustaining Sustainability.